Oh, the school year is winding down. All the teachers and the students are saying amen, and all the parents are saying, oh, God, <laughs> oh, my, please help me. Um, anyone here good at math? I know some people are gifted in that. Okay, one. Everybody look at her and say, shame on you. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, I do not have the gift of math. I can add numbers. Um, I can subtract sometimes. Can't really multiply. Have you ever been in a gas station and you go to hand them, like you're buying your soda and you go to hand them the, the stuff and you're like, I know there's a trick to this with the whole change thing. If I just give them 28 cents, then I'll get back a, no, I don't even do that. Um, I had somebody who was like a teenager at the gas station this week checking me out. And she said to me, cause she saw I had coins in my hand. She said, if you just give me 16 cents, I'll give you the extra dollar back. And I was like, Okay, okay, I see what you're doing here. It's great when you're good at math. Be good at math, okay? But like me, I'm not good at math. But I know somebody who's really good at math, and that's God. He's really good at math, and this is a pastor joke for sure. He's so good at math, he wrote a book called Numbers, okay? Ha, 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 ha. Okay, does anybody in here remember your multiplication tables? A little bit? So some of them. Okay, my favorite one, because it's the only one I really remembered, it rhymes. Six times eight is 48. Exactly. It was so easy. I was like, why don't they all rhyme? I would really know them. Okay. Listen, I'm going to give you a math lesson from a guy who doesn't like math. That's what today is about. The multiplication of whole numbers can be thought of essentially as repeated addition. Okay, that's easy. My wife is a teacher. She's saying yes, amen on the front row. When you multiply two numbers, you're essentially adding as many copies of one of them as the value of the other one. Today, I want to show you how God wants to use you in order to multiply in your life. How we today, as we finish out our series on the blessed life, how we can apply what I call the principles of multiplication in our financial life to see God do some incredible, incredible things. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. But while you're going there, turning there in your Bibles or going on your app, I want to give you a little bit of groundwork about this story. Many people have heard the story about how Jesus, I mean, every, like literally in before they can speak, walk, and talk, we're sharing Bible stories in churches about how Jesus fed the 5,000. That's what we say. All four Gospels corroborate the testimony of this happening. John is the only Gospel that actually says it's a little boy's lunch. Every, everything else just says this is what they had on site. But John specifies and says it was a little boy's lunch. Jesus has gotten his 12 disciples together He's already said to them, I give you all power and all authority over demons, over all evil things. I give you the ability to cure disease. Jesus has given them this already in context of what we're about to read. And then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God is coming. So while he's here, he says, go out, go tell everyone the kingdom of God is coming and God wants to heal you. He wants to save you. He wants to help you. In fact, if I was to paraphrase what Jesus says earlier, 
He basically tells them this. Take nothing for your journey. Don't even pack a bag. You don't need money. Don't even bring a change of clothes. So Jesus has asked them not only for their obedience in following him, but he's actually asked them for something that is incredibly difficult for every single one of you in this room today. What he's asked for is complete and utter dependence on him. I want you to think about that. If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as I shared just a few moments ago, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says that, is it possible that he still directs his followers to completely depend on him? I think if we're honest, we depend on our bosses. We depend on our paycheck. We depend on our possessions. We depend on people in our life. We depend on our family. We depend on all of these things. But the true walk of salvation and the true, true religion, true accepting of Christ means that you are completely and utterly dependent upon him. Now, there have been moments in your life and in my life where we go through a season of real complete dependence on God. Those are called hardships. And we wish we could get off of the hardship and onto the cruise ship, right? You'd like to do that sometimes. But these are moments, hear me out and hear me well, the moments of hardship in your life, whether they're by your own stupidity, whether they're by God's design, or whether they're landmines set out for you by the enemy of God and his people, those moments can be moments where you grow in your faith and your dependence on God. So Jesus tells these guys, don't take money, don't take bread, don't even bring a change of clothes. Does that sound like something he said to some man in the Old Testament? Pack a bag, take your son to a mountain, to another man, pack your bag, where am I going? Just pack a bag and go. <laughs> where, but where am I going? God didn't tell him where to go. Hey, everyone, you're living in a foreign nation under the thumb of some tyrannical leadership. Why don't y'all all leave in the middle of the night? But there's a giant river. How are we going to get across it? God has been doing this for a long time. And somehow we sit down and we face a hardship and we go, pity poor me. God, why do you hate me? Where are you? Why haven't you showed up yet? And he may just be whispering to you, I want you to depend on me. I know I've heard him say that to me a time or two in my life. Is it possible that he still uses our circumstances today in order to direct us to depend on him? Go with me to Luke 9. You're already there. Go to verse 10. We'll start in verse 10. So Jesus has sent out the disciples on a little missions trip, and now they're coming back. Verse 10, it says this, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them. 
he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. That seems to be a theme this morning. We talked about it in starting point. We talked about it before service. We prayed for it. I believe God still heals. If you believe that, say amen. It says, cured all those who had need of healing. Verse 12, now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, (laughs) I like this. So the 12 ragtag jokers that Jesus had hanging around him decide, you know what? Jesus is probably not picking up on what everybody's putting down here. So let's go tell Jesus to send them away. Like, let's be done for the day. Can you wrap it up, Jesus? I can see Peter in the back of the room or the back of the, the, on the edge of the hill going, Jesus, it's, I think we're good, okay? Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside so they can find lodging and get provisions for we're here in a desolate place. How many of you have ever been in a desolate, physical desolate place? Okay, if you've ever driven highway 49 (laughs) south okay and almost before you get to Hattiesburg and then once you get to Hattiesburg and then after and you're headed down even further like Moss Point and stuff like that 98 you could go 20 miles without seeing anything but a trailer or a house there's no gas station so you're just out of luck and then maybe every 40 miles there's a dollar gentral okay that's pretty much all you got Okay, so imagine, if you will, using our context of Mississippi, they're smack dab in the middle of one of those kinds of places where there's no real, there's no corner store to run to, no McDonald's. There is no Jesus chicken being served at Chick-fil-A. Okay, verse 13, Jesus issues this challenge. He said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we've no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. I think there's a moment right there. If you pay attention when you're reading God's word and if you use your imagination a little bit, which I like to do, they might have been wondering, you know, I've seen Jesus do some pretty cool things. Jesus, I got a couple bucks in my pocket. You want to multiply that? I'll go buy the stuff. That's what I imagine. Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. Verse 14 says this. For there were about 5,000 men. This is men being counted. Matthew's account tells us this parenthetical. 5,000 men without children and women included in that number. I want you to think. Okay, I know it's math. I want you to think how many thousands of people could there have been? Okay, so back in those days, they didn't have family planning, right? They probably had a ton of kids in every family, okay? They were married, so there were spouses present. The number could have been somewhere 10, 12,000, maybe even more hungry mouths sitting there on the hill that day. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. You can't tell me that God is not all about being organized. He sits them down in groups of 50 each. Verse 15. And they did so. And they had them all sit down. Verse 16. 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he, Jesus, looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible does not lie. The Bible is the infallible word of God. When it says the word satisfied that we translated out of their language into English, it means they ate till they were satisfied, till they were full. Fish and bread, as much as you want until you're happy. And what was left over was picked up. There were even leftovers in this miracle. The Bible says 12 baskets of broken pieces of scraps. John's gospel is the only one that tells us it's a little boy's lunch that is what gets divided in this miracle. But I've got to tell you, based on that, that God could even do a miracle on your lunch break. It's incredible when you think about the significance of what Christ did in this moment. How that builds the faith of the disciples How all of the people must have known there weren't carts and carts of food sitting there waiting for them to sit down to a church potluck after that Jesus had prepared and the disciples had made queso and sausage balls and all the things and spaghetti. and No, they literally saw a miracle happen before their eyes from from a tiny amount multiplied enough for maybe... 12,000 hungry people to all be satisfied. I really think that if you don't pay attention when you read the Bible, you miss out. I want to share with you a couple observations that I see that I call the principles of multiplication. That you can see if you're paying attention while we read through this story this morning which is not a tall tale. It's something that truly happened in history. Here's one observation. The miracle did not happen in the master's hands. It's not up to me to determine exactly how God chooses to perform a miracle. But by the way that I read this and how we just read it together, the miracle of multiplication did not occur while Jesus had this food in his hands. I want you to see that. It happened in the hands of the disciples. So there are two principles of multiplication. The first is this. Number one, it has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. How many of you ate a meal this week? Be honest. How many of you ate a meal this week and you didn't pray over it? Okay. Thank you. It's full of honest people. They're like, well, I don't think that sends me to hell, Pastor. No, it doesn't, but I just want to see who's honest, okay? We've all done it. You're hungry. You're driving. You pulled through Wendy's. You got the radio going. Somebody else in the car. You're on the way somewhere. You're scarfing down whatever you've got and you forgot. There is no biblical 
law that says that you must. But I, I encourage everybody to teach your kids and your grandkids to be thankful for the food that they eat. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Bless it. I love the old school prayer. What? Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies, right? Okay? That's an old school statement or way to do it. But literally, taking a moment and blessing the food. Jesus, the Son of God, prayed a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving to the Father for what he had in his hand. It has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. Many people have given to the church, not this church. The, like I'm saying like many people in the world have given to a spiritual body called the church. But not everybody gives a gift that has been blessed because they haven't given to the Lord first. They haven't practiced that message from several weeks ago, the principle of first, saying it's the first dollar out of my hand, out of my paycheck. It's the first one to get paid. They haven't done that. It doesn't have the power of multiplication if it's not blessed. You understand that Jesus was intentional with every moment here on this planet? He did not miss a step. He didn't do things that wasted time or people's time or energy. He wasn't doing this just to trick them. He literally tells them, teaches them how to pray. Says, this is how you're supposed to deal with conflict. This is what you're supposed to do when this happens. Like he's literally done everything with intentionality. And in this moment, it's not just that he's honoring the Father above, but he's demonstrating for his disciples that the gift has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that Jesus is the one who receives our tithes. So you have to get this. Your pastor does not receive your tithes. Celebrate Church does not receive your tithes. People get this all messed up sometimes. And they say, well, I tithe to this church. I ought to be able to pick the color of the carpet. Please, if it's anything but pink, you have full ability Okay, that's a, I know the joke is getting old and tired. It's fine. That's just how I feel. Here's the thing. You don't tithe to me. You don't tithe to celebrate church. You tithe to God. That is something important for us to understand. And we have to be tithers in order to receive blessings that then can be multiplied. It's a simple elementary sort of thing, but a lot of people miss it. I'll say it in reverse order. It can't be multiplied unless it's been blessed. So Malachi chapter 3 tells us the only way that it can be blessed is when we're obedient to bring our tithes. His blessing and favor comes as we're obedient to him. I've said this many times in many messages, but I will repeat it again for you today. And that is this. It is about our obedience. The reason why, and we talk about the context of Luke chapter 9, Jesus asking them to completely and utterly depend on God. It really is about our obedience. So it's not... 
if you're here today and you say, ooh, this is a good reminder, Pastor, totally forgot to tithe off that last paycheck. I'm going to go ahead and issue that online gift. I don't want to go to hell. That's, no, that's not, that's not what we're doing. It's not about being guilty for your past issues, sins, habits, mistakes. It's about being in a work of progress that says, you know, I haven't always been obedient in that area of my life, but I'm going to start choosing with some discipline to be obedient. Amen? So how do we see that we get blessed? We see that we get blessed as we obey. Can I just ask you this? It's just on a human level. How much are you willing to do? And I'm looking at one of you. How much are you willing to do for the kid that is constantly obeying you? Who always obeys? What are you willing to do, Sam, for that grandkid? Anything. Crystal, you got three. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes all three are perfect, right? No, okay. But... One of them probably is easier to choose to obey. And yes, mommy, sure, mommy, okay, mommy. What? I, let's go for ice cream. The other two of you stay behind and do some yard work, okay? I'm taking this one, and we're going to go get some ice cream. Why? That's your human nature. The Bible says we're created in the image of God. Yes, he's a good father, but I've got to tell you, He loves to bless those who are obedient. Do other blessings come to those regardless? Yes, they do. But I'm telling you, if you want to live the blessed life, it requires obedience. The truth is, God can do more in and through your life with what you give him than you yourself can do without giving him anything, with all that you have. In other words, God can do more in your pocket, in your purse, in your wallet, with the 90% that you have left over, than you can by keeping the 100%. And I don't understand regular math. I sure don't understand supernatural math. But this is how it works. This is surely how God chooses to work. And I believe that keys are obedience and dependence on him. A miracle can happen with whatever is in your hand. And the truth is, God's given you plenty of things. Not just financially, but he's given you gifts. He wants you to use them. He's given you some time. He wants you to earmark a little bit of it to serve in the house of God, in the family of God. God wants to use you and wants to bless you. Speaking of miracles happening, a dear friend of mine who lives in another state, pastors in another state, texted me way early on Saturday morning. Um, I got it after I woke up. So early in the morning. And here's what he said. I've got the text on the screen. So I finally had a Dex moment happen. A family in the church that's been attending for a year invited us over for dinner. After eating, the husband, (laughs) he doesn't have punctuation, okay? They didn't eat the husband, so you got it? After eating, the husband starts sharing his heart. I knew my wife would appreciate (laughs) it. 
The husband starts sharing his heart to reach the lost. He then tells us that the Lord put it on his heart to pay the remaining $120,000 of debt that the church has so that we could be completely debt free. And I just kept thinking, I can't believe this is happening. This only happens to debts. Okay, because we've had some real financial miracles take place. He goes on to say, it's incredible how faithful the Lord has been to you, which built my faith, and how faithful he has been to us too. After they told us, I shared with them about how God had done the same amazing thing in your church and how my faith has grown since then. What a blessing. If you consider, and I'm just using a number I'm making up of 12,000 people. If you consider the fact that those 12,000 people have relatives elsewhere in other cities. And the next holiday festival that they went to, they got a chance to share what God did through this teacher who is standing on a hillside, and his 12 disciples. I was on the front row. You don't understand. There was this little boy, and they said, what do you got? And he said, I got five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. What? And I saw it. I saw it happen. Can you imagine the faith that gets built as a result of that testimony? The implication of that literally would have touched Dozens more of thousands of people. Maybe a hundred thousand people living in that day and time could have heard the story within weeks or months of what God could do. Me sharing my testimony with my great friend in ministry years ago as the Lord blessed us in Hawaii and the Lord blessed us here in Clinton, continues to do so, built his faith and God did a miracle in his life. And I said, you know what? It's been, a, the further text conversation happens. I said, it's been a little bit since the Lord's done a miracle like that. I'm ready for him to do another one. Like, that. my faith is not shaken. But man, it gets raised again to the place of explosive faith. When I hear that God is still doing great things. He's doing great things in our daily life. But when we see something like a miracle of multiplication, that's something worth talking about. It doesn't just bless those who received it that day. It's still blessing us thousand years later, 2,000 years later. Supernatural math is God's strong suit. It's definitely not mine. Okay, But God is a great multiplier. This is something that you should think of. God knows. If we can say he knows our struggle in our marriage, he knows our struggle with our grandkids, he knows our struggle with our disobedient child, he knows our struggle at work, he knows our struggle with our boss, he knows that my aunt needs healing. If God knows all of those things, can he not supernaturally show up? He absolutely can. So I hope that your faith has been built over these last weeks that we've been in this series. Because surely mine has too. Here's point number two. Principle number two. It has to be given away before it can multiply. 
say, Pastor, you're, you might be reading a little bit too far into this. No, I'm not. <laughs> you explain it to me after service, after I'm done with the microphone. You explain it to me. How else does it happen? Jesus held it in his hands. He blessed it. He handed it to the disciples. And as they gave it, it kept multiplying. As the widow with the son and the prophet gave the bread, it multiplied the oil and the flour, and she kept on having more. As she issued the gift, it happened. It has to be given away before it can be multiplied. I can see some dummy like Peter probably sneaking a bite on his way up the hill. Can you just imagine? I mean, this this is a ragtag bunch of people that Jesus had as his followers. I can just imagine them going, is this real? I I can see that. But here's the point I'm trying to make. What if the disciples had held it all for themselves and eaten first before giving it away? Do you think it would have been multiplied? Just use your imagination. I think it's their obedience to what Jesus said, which is go and give it away. And I think it's awesome that there were 12 baskets left over. If anybody's ever gone to church more than one Sunday, how many disciples did Jesus have? Louder. Twelve. See, you are awake. What do you think happened with those leftovers? I think those disciples got to sit down in the shade and got to eat until they were satisfied. I'm telling you, it's good. The power of multiplication is not given to us for our own selfish reasons. It's actually given to us in order that we become more selfless. And it's the act of giving that initiates multiplication. The Bible tells us literally in almost every story and on almost every page that God is not stingy with anything that he blesses us with. The Bible says he's a jealous God and he's stingy with one thing and that's his glory. He doesn't want to give that away. He's not willing to part with that or share it with you. Everything else, you tell me, have you seen in scripture that he is a God of, a God, a God of abundance? The Bible says he gives life and it more abundantly. The Bible says that he supplied water in the desert abundantly. The Bible says that he's abundant in the way he provides for his children. He's abundant in his goodness towards his children. He's abundant in his grace, in his peace, in his mercy, in his salvation. He's abundant in his power. He's abundant in, a, in, in helping their crops be prosperous, the Bible says. He poured down an, an abundance of rain in a dry and a weary land. He still can do that today. And the Bible even says to those who are grieving that he is a God who can abundantly supply comfort. 
Your generosity multiplies the impact of what you have to offer. But you've got to remember, it's got to be given away before it can multiply. Here's five practical things that you can do in order to get your finances in order, in order to really sum up the series that we've been talking about, Living the Blessed Life. The first one is this, get on a budget. If you're not on a budget, Google it, figure it out, ask somebody who's good at math. Her name is Kathy, okay? There's one of them here today. Um, The second thing is this, be wise and responsible with your debt load. Talked about this and gave you some numbers about the average uh, credit card debt for the regular individual American uh, several weeks ago in a message, the number was over $7,000 just averaging across the board in credit card debt. High, high interest rates. So be wise and responsible. The third thing is this. Deny yourself. <laughs> I'm just going to stay there for a second and just let you write it down, put a note in your phone, take a picture of it, something. Something. When's the last time, you don't have to answer out loud or raise your hand, that you denied yourself something that was in your reach, in your grasp? And we're not talking about thievery, taking it from somebody else. We're talking about you have the cookies on the counter and you've said, nope. You, whatever it is. The Bible actually says in 1 John chapter 2 that there are three things that we're all affected by. They, he calls them the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That we're all affected by those things. And we've got to deny ourselves. We've talked about it literally since I was a kid. We've talked about this and said, you know, America's just filled with a generation of people that just wants a microwave faith and a microwave marriage and a microwave. I've said it. Because you want it fast. Right? You want it yesterday. When something happens and you're in the middle of a project, say you've got an issue in your backyard and you need your fence fixed. You want that to be fixed right away. You got a tree in your yard. Like just use a practical example, something along those lines. You want it done yesterday. That's human nature. But we've got to deny ourselves when it comes to this. When people tell me they can't afford to tithe, it's usually because they lack self-denial. And I'm not talking about some psychotherapy phrase, self-denial. I'm talking about denying yourself. In fact, Jesus actually says those words. If you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, So maybe we don't need some of the stuff that we think we need. Denying yourself is not an easy thing to do. If you found a secret to denying yourself, please share it. Like literally, you can stand up right now and tell me. Because we all need to know. In other words, since there's nobody speaking besides me, I'm going to tell you, it's literally a progress. It's a work. It's not a progress, a process to deny yourself. Fourth is tithe, 10% of your income to God through the local church. Teach your kids to do it, your grandkids to do it. Why? Because we've got churches in 30 years that are going to need them to tithe. 
That's not why. It's because it's a principle of how God works. And so teaching them now is important. Don't you dare say, here, Johnny, here's $5. Go throw it in the offering. No, walk them through the math. Johnny, Grandma gave you $20 for the chores you did while you were at the house. How much of that is your tithe? Let's take that to church together when you go. Teach them and train them in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Come on, somebody. And number five, increase your faith. How do you increase your faith? Think about that. I increased my faith this morning. Hopefully your faith literally rose a level or two just by hearing that God blessed somebody a state away in their church. And that was reciprocal because he had held on to a testimony of what God had done in our church years ago and what God wants to do for those who are following his lead. He wants to bless. So increase your faith. We increase our faith and our obedience by going above and beyond the tithe. You say, well, I've heard people ask, well, how much like, do I give extra? Or like, how do I know, you know what to do? The Holy Spirit's real. He still talks today. And guess what? He doesn't want you to negotiate with him. <laughs> if that first amount, when the missions speaker is here, the missionary couple several weeks ago, when that first amount hits you in the, in the head and you think, yeah, I need to write a check for $100 today for them. Don't, don't look over and start, mm, well, you know what? We've got that cell phone bill due this week. Let's just do 50. Don't negotiate that with God. He's not pleased in that gift. He's pleased in your immediate obedience. Amen? How many of you have lived a blessed life because of some of these things? Amen? We all have. So let's not forget them. But that fifth point is very important. Increase your faith. Share the testimony of what God has done, how he's blessed your life. I've shared that with our kids, some of the testimony of what God has done in our individual life. God's blessed me personally recently in multiple ways. And sometimes I can't share that with everybody. I've shared it with my kids. Now my daughter is raising funds to go do something she wants to do and be part of. And she is freaking out with excitement of how good God is because so-and-so gave me so-and-so dollars. Somebody she didn't. Let me share this with you. My seventh grade teacher, who's still alive, living in Florida, connected with me on Facebook and said, what's your address? I want to mail your daughter a check. I began to just weep. Because I remember Miss Kelly was the first person to put money in my hand for a missions trip I wanted to go on as a teenager. I'm four, I'll be 41 years old this month. Over 30 years ago, she did something like that in my life. I've shared that testimony with my own kids and I was able to open up an envelope this week and hand Madeline a check from my seventh grade teacher to bless her for her trip. I'm telling you, share the testimony of what God has done. Humor me for a second and let's read this out loud together. Now to him who is able 
to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Look at what verse 21 says. Read it out loud. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To him who is able to do far more abundantly. Would you stand with me today? Maybe you've lived a principled life. I know that there are some people in this very room and I've, I've connected with you and I've heard stories of the faithfulness of God and all he's done. I've seen what he can do and has done in your life. We've experienced miracles together. Let your faith today declare, God, you're still able. If he's able to bless with a $120,000 check to that church, 150,000 plus to this church years ago, thousands of dollars over my lifetime that has been personally blessed to me. If he's able to do that, he's able to heal a marriage. He's able to save a husband, a spouse. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you can imagine or think. So don't walk out of here feeling any guilt today. I want you to walk out with your faith built that God is real and he still does miracles of multiplication. Would you open up your hands in a, in a posture of receiving today and just close your eyes? I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. I'm sorry if this feels Catholic or something else to you or weird, but just bear with me. As the priest of this house and the man that God has put here, I bless each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask that the God of heaven and earth would bless his children. Lord, bless the obedience of the ones who have been faithful to you. And I pray that you would do your word. You would stay true to your word and you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much of a blessing they could not contain it. God, I pray that you would convict us of any areas where we have failed, but God, that you would bless every area where we've been faithful. Lord, I speak a blessing over these households, over the marriages in this place, over the children and grandchildren represented in this place. Lord, I speak healing and health into their bodies and into their lives. I speak blessing financially into them. Lord, would you please multiply, multiply what you've put in our hands as we give it to you and your servant.